0: Hey there, it's Jason Cunningham and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast dedicated to helping small and medium-sized business owners navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now, when it comes to real estate, today's guest is synonymous with the industry, particularly when it comes to the northwestern suburbs, and his name? Brad Teal. Oh, well done, Brad. (laughs) How are you, pal? Good. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Now, Brad, there are many strings to the bow of Brad Teal, not only... Have you been a doyen in the industry of real estate? I think, what, 46 years now? Yeah, a long time. But you're a board member of the Essendon Footy Club for 11 years. Mm -hmm. You're a father, a proud father, Mm -hmm. and you're an ambassador for your community. And I I think we've got a lot to talk about today, so Mm -hmm. hopefully we can get you in and out in 45 minutes. Um, And recently, you, uh, you helped me out with a sale of one of my investment properties. So thank you very much. Mr Teal. Mr. Cunningham, a, a, a lot of people uh, uh, may not be aware of your story, uh, and I know it. But I, I'd just like you to walk us back 46 years ago, if you can, yep. and tell me your your first foray into the real estate industry.
1: Well, the story starts at um, in Diamond Street in West Essendon. I was a Diamond Street boy, um, and there's a fellow who had been in real estate and a doyen of, of his era, Ted Ashton and he operated a business called Edward M Ashton, and Ted uh, was at this party of, uh, I think it would have been a 40th of one of my mate's uh, months, and we were out there trying to sneak out bottles of beer out the back laundry <laughs> window and do what you do at that age, and I was 17, and Ted came and said to me, um, can you box young teal? And I said, uh, what do you mean? And he said, well, put up your dukes, and um he started to throw a couple of punches. And Ted had been a sparring partner, a great mate of Jack Rennie's, but he'd been a sparring partner through the uh, late 60s with uh, Lionel Rose. And he had a pair of boxing gloves hanging from his rear vision mirror. That was his love of boxing. And so it was a a way of Ted actually saying, G'day, Brad, how are you? (laughs) But it was a different way. And um, anyway, so I've I've got my jukes up and... um, he whacks me in the stomach and I fold over and then the next one he whacks me on the jaw and I don't know whether to laugh or cry and anyway, so that finished and then he came up to me half an hour later and he said, um, I've spoken to your dad and uh, he said, it's okay to have a chat to you, do you want to come and work with me uh, in my business, I like your style, you didn't have a whinge, you did what you did and uh, uh, that's when it all started and the following Saturday he picked me up at home at 33 Diamond Street in Nidri, and we put my bike in the back of his LTD and we drove down and he gave me a receipt book and said, I want you to ride down to Farnham Court in uh, Flemington. And there were about four blocks of flats and they were all Abloy keyed alike. He was a great mate of Albert Chantry, one of the famous locksmiths of uh, Melbourne. And and Albert had re-keyed all of the flats uh, with an Abloy master security, one of the first in Melbourne. And so I ride down there with a bag and... Uh, receipts already folded from one side to the other and you go into the property and the money would be left in a folder and you'd pull the receipt out and lick it and goo it into the um, their folder and take the money. And I would ride back in 1974 with $4,000 from all of these flats, which would be like riding back with $50,000 in yeah. your satchel as a kid yeah, today. Right. Wow. So, And that was my uh, start. Um, and I did that each Saturday uh, over the next um, couple of months leading into Christmas Finished my HSC, got into town planning at RMIT, but chose um, to get into real estate. I did a cadetship with Ted in rentals, uh, learnt right from the ground up, and that's where it all started. Uh, I, you know. I,
0: I, I couldn't hear that story enough. I, I mean. First, the interview process takes place at a mate's mum's 40th in the backyard getting the shit kicked out of you <laughs> by a 40-year-old bloke. I mean, imagine today's day and age, you've got 100 employees or what have you got now, Tilly? And you, your interview process is, okay, let's uh, roll the sleeves up and punch on, which is interesting. But also, you know, I think it's really important that you started from the bottom and, and, and back in the halcyon days in the early 70s, you're collecting rent checks or collecting cash from tenants of investment properties, putting them in your satchel and writing back to Ashton's office. I think that's amazing. Mm. Uh, And it's really, you know, for a lot of people that live in the industry, uh, sorry, live in the area, uh, everyone knows the name Brad Teal. But, uh, you know, for a few of us that have got to know you, uh, recognise and realise that you're one of the more humble uh, people walking around town.
1: Well, look, you've just... Got to do what you do, and uh, um, I I, for years I've never carried a business card. And um, I can play 18 holes of golf with some guys, and uh, they'll say at the end of the game, Oh, by the way, what do you do? and I'll say, I'm in real estate. And they'll say, You know, the least likely of an agent if people don't know you playing at various courses, and uh, so I I never push that barrow, it just happens to be a product of who you are and um, how you treat people. Mm -hmm. So it's never been something that I've pushed.
0: You don't mind your golf? What's your handicap now, Tilly? Oh,
1: going out. <laughs> I don't know anyone whose handicap's come in since COVID, but I'm off about um, 13.5, four, yep. a player 14. Mm-hmm. Off the black at Coinscliff or Bowen Heads, a player of 15. But, yeah, can whack it around. Can play 15 great holes and three shockers. <laughs> <laughs> Tell
0: me, uh, Brad, there's been a recent event in your business. Yeah. Um, uh, share with us uh, how that went. Uh, Where it went to plan and how it went, yeah. the, the recent merger with Woodards?
1: Look, it, the decision to do it all is probably the most monumental of, of the whole transaction, and that happened back in um, January before the word uh, January twenty twenty before the word COVID had even hit the radar of everybody. But in September of twenty nineteen, I got approached to sell one office or two offices, and uh, the answer was no. And flippantly, I said. Uh, But if you want to buy the lot, I'll I'll engage. And so we had a chat in December and January of December twenty nineteen and January twenty twenty, and we shook hands on a deal uh, in February pre COVID. And then COVID tried to scuttle the negotiations and the whole transaction. And over the year, um, we worked hard at it. And in December, we announced that Brad Teal Real Estate. just under 34 years, uh, going would join with, uh, Woodards and Woodards were very, very strong on the other side of town and had a Carlton and an Ascot Vale office, but Mm -hmm. fundamentally the only, um, office that we covered the same territory with was Ascot Vale. And so it was a really, uh, perfect bolt on where we bolted on straight up the Sydney road and, um, this side of town, the Merrimanong river, that side of town, we bolted on perfectly. And now the Northwest Division is called Bradfield Woodards and we'll have a couple of years of transition of the brand. But on the other side of town, um, offices all round, they you know, out to Doncaster, Elstonwick, Carnegie, uh, very strong in Blackburn and Camberwell. So the Woodards brand has been around for coming up 100 years, Centenary wow. next year, I think it is. And um, uh, so we've been really fortunate to have a merger that happened on the 1st of April around like-mindedness, very similar culture, uh, very strong on people, uh, really good systems. And in a merger, there's a mindset that we're better than them. And I think one of the realities that has come to the fore in my brain is that you think that what you do is so dominant and the best, but in actual fact, someone is doing something equally well. It just happens to be a different software system or a different way. And when you get like minds who want to go in the same direction, that's the benefit of um, mutual push in one direction. And I think that's what we've achieved with this. Mm-hmm. It's been very, very good, very good. Tell me, how's, what's the impact been on your team? Uh, there have been a couple of um, people that I'd say dropped by the wayside that I would hope wouldn't have purely because of either uh, maybe not embraced on the inner circle as much as they would have thought. Um, But we were mindful of that and they were courted around, this might not happen exactly as you you think. Um, There have been some people who surprisingly left, I think, uh, went into a bit of panic about what's this mean for me. Um, But overall, I would say that 90 to 90, early 90s percentage, call it 90% of staff have either stayed with us and or gone over to the new uh, brand in separate offices where they bought entirely a whole rent roll at Coburg or Carlton and the Ascot Vale. And all of their, um, everything has gone over, all of their superannuation and their um, entitlements have gone over there. And they I've spoken to them, I, I ring people regularly and say, hi, how's it all going? And they've been warmly welcomed and they're going really well. Mm. But we've still got in the Brad Teal network uh, that I still own 100% of, and Keeler, Sunbury, um, Commercial at Sunbury and Gisborne office um, and some of Vale. We've still got that Brad Teal spirit and the Brad Teal Woodard's name means that that will <coughs> prevail for a bit, bit longer. Tell me, Brad,
0: you, you spoke about a, a handshake agreement uh, can I buy a couple of offices, you can have the lot, that sort of stuff. Uh, surely there was a bit more uh, due diligence than that. And has, was the process rigorous and or was it pretty yeah. straightforward?
1: Well, Antoinette Truder, who's been CEO of Bradfield Real Estate for about three or four years now, um, she's just um, so thankful that she came into my life. Um, she's an incredible lady, um, really um strong on accounting, got a great sense of legal documents and the ability to read and um, comprehend and interpret and understand how something relates to something else in a a deal and very, very good. And she dealt with uh, the Woodards people uh, substantially uh, right through the deal and also with um, uh, Macquarie Bank were funding the, the, the Woodards component of it. And they were unbelievably rigorous in their due diligence and COVID required reinventing numbers, COVID effect on numbers, budgets, actuals, mm. the whole thing time and time again. And the thing that made it difficult was the prospect that uh, the the pundits had said that they expect if all the stars align coming out of COVID that the market would drop 32% in Melbourne. Yep. And over that period of May, June, July, August, September with the probability that the pundits would be right, as they typically um, aren't. (laughs) Um, But they were saying this, and the banks were reacting to what their internal economists were saying, and that was the line. And so it made budgeting very difficult. Uh, When you lose virtually all of August, September, and October's revenue lines, um, it made budgeting very difficult and it made making uh, your revenue um, fit your expenses Mm. because you've got a fixed cost base. It made it very, very difficult. Antoinette guided us through the reality of recurrent and also the actual negotiations and completing the deal. And uh, she has been unbelievable. And as I said, so thankful she's been part of it all. Yeah.
0: Mm. So let me just say firstly, congratulations. Um, uh, Very rewarding. Yeah, it's, it's a milestone that a lot of business owners aspire to achieve and you, you've done it. Um, so congratulations for that. I, I heard something that I wanted to just track back on if I can. The industry, uh, the real estate industry did get belted uh, pretty hard during COVID. And uh, when I look at the typical employee in the sales office, typically she or he is has a retainer and, and then a, a large portion of their income is based on a commission. Correct. How did you, uh, how did you uh, manage people's expectations? How did you communicate with your team? How did you look after your team during that period where no doubt their income, like yours, would have
1: taken you know, we, a bit of a... Uh, we a had dip? some hard discussions, but what we did, we actually gave uh, every person a job keeper mm. for them to retain, not offset by commissions. Right. So whatever commissions they earned in the period um, April 28th through to uh, January when JobKeeper stopped and we we stopped uh, being entitled to it, uh, to receive it as a company. Our salespeople kept 100% of the JobKeeper and it was not offset against uh, their commissions. So they were, in effect, $39,000 per annum was the annualised amount of Mm. JobKeeper. They were that much benefited by it and Mm. it took the... um, the risk out of it for them during COVID. Now, everybody had their income levels slashed by COVID by just lack of volume of business. Um, But what it did, it gave people a little bit of comfort that they had some money to cover. And we assisted staff. We have a... a, 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 Every staff member has a card that entitles them to call um, for psychological assistance uh, for them and their family, kids and, and everyone And Brad Teal Real Estate staff have the entitlement to call a company called Relationships Matters without us knowing. And they have the ability to see those people three times and then uh, Relationship Matters can call us and they get another three visits. We still don't know who the person is. And then after six visits, if Relationships Matters think this can't be resolved, they call us in and then we work out uh, something happened in the workplace. We work out uh, assistance in others other ways if we can. But also we put in place a thing called the Teal Bank, which is a fancy name, mm. not registered, by the way. But um, <laughs> um, it was the ability to look at someone and say, you're off the boil, what is going on? And you have a hard conversation with someone and discover that, you know, they've been sleeping in their car the last couple of nights. You can tell by their shirt's not ironed. Uh, And you find that their phone isn't answering because they've not been able to pay their phone bill, their registration, their insurance, the kids' school fees. So what we were doing was taking uh, eight creditors off someone's desk, paying them, and then they dealt with us as an employer. And then they would pay that down over a period of time. And the response that we had, and virtually no one would know within the company, no one would know that that was going on. And we were giving people this financial lifeline but more than anything, taking all of the uh, red uh, final letters of demand, yeah, the wow, red, red and that anxiety oh, that comes yeah, with that, incredible. Yeah, and sometimes it was gambling, sometimes it was just you know, being an ordinary person, and you get them help, and mm. and it got a few families back, and that's exactly what we did over COVID. In,
0: and, in this business, you know, Brad, we've been we speak to and have been speaking to business owners and individuals for twenty four years, and. And typically for most of us, the more we earn, the more we spend. And I think the stats, my, my business partner, Matt Morrison, who runs our wealth management division, I, I think it's something like it's either 81 or 85% of Australians spend everything that they earn and another 9% of Australians spend more than they earn. Yeah. So that is commonplace. Now, mm. if, we, if the more we earn, the more we spend, and if we get used, we've got this uncanny knack of matching our expenses with the income that we earn, if that income is then suddenly taken away from us through no action of our own, it's very hard to arrest that development because we start to live a lifestyle that we're accustomed yeah, to. agree. Private schools, nice car, cars on a lease, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And I think that's, I think that's um, a wonderful thing that you guys have offered, the Teal Bank. I, I want to track back to relationship matters. How long has that been
1: within? Well, they were lifeworks before that. I yeah. would say that's every bit of, um, I'm guessing, six to eight years. Yeah. And, and who? where did that suggestion come from? Well, that suggestion came from a fellow who was a former um, dreamer Brad to real estate. Brendan Lawley started that process Mm. when it became obvious that there were things that we couldn't solve just with an across-the-desk discussion or put your arm around someone and go over for a coffee. Sometimes they were far more sophisticated issues um, and where people wouldn't tell us for fear of being judged. And so their ability to go with... Um, ring relationships matters and deal with it mm. independent of work and particularly with um, teenagers. Sometimes it was gambling, as I said. Mm. Um, I can't
0: believe how prolific gambling is yeah. out there. Um, as an accountant, it just goes against everything I stand mm. for uh, and I'm no, no judgment at anything, but uh, through my relationship with an ex prominent AFL footballer who's now become an ambassador for responsible gambling and responsible gaming for the ALH group and we did a little project with the AFL around the amount of phone calls he was fielding from current players about their gambling addiction, that they could not face the club, they couldn't face their wife, they couldn't face their manager, they couldn't even face the counsellor at the footy club. Mm. And they were going to, to David because he was external, very similar to what you're saying about Relationship Matters, irrespective of how strong your relationship is with your direct report or your boss or your manager. Sometimes it's just too embarrassing to share that out of fear yeah, of being and I judged. Think
1: there's a feeling of um, loose lips sink ships, and if a company knows, then someone else will know, and someone yeah. else will know. And so, going to an independent where we didn't, as a company, as all we did was pay invoices. Yeah. And we have a trust with relationship matters, and they're fantastic. Yeah. And If we get called in, well, we know that they are doing that completely with um, genuineness about the protection of the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, nearly every case has worked out very, very well.
0: Tilly, one of the things that we talk about in our organisation when we talk about developing a strategic plan with our clients is we use a a tool called the balanced Scorecard. Mm -hmm. And the balanced Scorecard approach to strategic planning really talks to the four key pillars of any organisation. It's your people your processes, your customers, and your financials. And it's your people, if you the theory says that if I create an environment that enables me to attract and retain key people, I show them how and I allow them to be the very best that they can be. If they follow the you know succinct processes that we've developed in our organization and put them in front of the right customer, the financials will look after themselves. Now one of the things that you've done amazingly well is around your staff retention. And you've got some, you know, the business has been around for 34 years and you've got, I'm, I'm pretty aware, or I'm pretty sure, should I say, that some of your team members have been there
1: 25, 30 years. Yeah, early. we have um, 35 people 20 years plus, And that's only a guess. I yeah. haven't got the numbers in front of me. Yeah, but that longevity um, is uh, a reward. You know, They're great people mm. and the company's given them an opportunity and they've grabbed it in both hands. And yeah. And we rely on them, they rely on us. And uh,
0: So tell me, let's explore that a little bit more if we can, Brad, because yeah. for most of us, we're in the people business, whether it's an accounting and financial services business like ours, whether it's in real estate like yours, a restaurant, uh, gym owner, pub, nightclub. It's all run by people. Tell me, what's your strategy to building a strong culture and nurturing your people. Can you share with me some insight yeah, into
1: that? We, we have what's called the Brad your Way, and it's now um, in association with Woodards. but I'll talk pre-1st of April mm. um, what the Brad Way was. The Brad your Way was about continuous uh, self-development. It was about um, looking out for others within. So look out for changes in behaviour, people um, not as... Uh, mindful around their job and their presentation. So look after the to way, uh, off, being off-brand, as we called it. Mm. Um, and it's about a culture that encourages, encourages um, that, that growth. And everyone just focuses on a dollar. And you know what? Everyone goes to work for a dollar. But if you can go to work and enjoy it, and you're in a, a really competitive dress environment or... Um, the competitive juices are running because I want to beat him on the scorecard. We've got a television with all the results that roll continually and, and that's become a driver for success as well. Um, continual self-development about that that phrase that um, you might have heard me talk about before uh, about trainee and trainer, that we think we are very good trainers, mm. but how good a trainee are you? So we try to make our... Uh, people, rentals, administration, advertising, sales, commercial, residential. We try to make them all the best trainee that they can possibly be. And Mm. that is understand, comprehend what is being instructed here Mm. and take it away and do it because so many people think I've ticked off that last hour and a half of training with a $10,000 an hour speaker or whatever it might be at a conference and they don't actually go and implement. Mm. And there are so many things that we say, why haven't you done that? Oh, I don't know. The easiest things to do in our world are the first things that get left behind. And in real estate, it's the first thing you get taught is about farming, it's called, and get a residential area and go and letterbox drops. Hi, um, my name's Brad and I work in the local area. If you're thinking or you know of anyone transacting real estate, I'm your person. What makes you, when someone closes their eyes and thinks, Real estate, what makes you foremost in there the front of mind to transact with, and you've got to put yourself in that position. Mm. Starts off with letterbox dropping. The very first thing that drops off when people get a bit of momentum is their letterbox dropping, mm. their phone calls, introductions, building a data bank of uh, all of your friends and break them into cells within your spreadsheet of football mates, school mates, family friends, neighbors, mm. um, kindergarten so that you can relate to all of the village that is around you. Mm. And it it, you know, it it takes a village to raise a child, they say. Mm. Well, it takes a community to build a business. Yeah, and right. that's what you need to do, work yeah. on your community. That's interesting. that's part of that cultural aspect.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that because you are very community-focused. Um, and I, I just want to sit that on the shelf if I can and come back to that because – you're quite prominent in the community, uh, but also you do a lot of things that people don't know about. Um, I want to get back to the team piece because I don't know what there's about a hundred or so in the pre-merger. there Pre-merger, there's a hundred team members, which is a lot of team members, which are a lot of team members, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, what I'm hearing from you, Brad, is uh, this is what we bring to the table, the organisation, but this is what we expect from you. To match, So yeah, the trainer and the trainee, I really like that and I'm going to pinch that or borrow that or share that if you don't mind. Um, What happens uh, in situations, because I've been into your offices a number of times and I've seen the Brad Teal way on the window as I walk in the the Essendon office there on the left on the window, I see the Brad Teal way and I was quite intrigued about that. And so thank you for sharing that for me personally, but also for our listeners. But how do you, what do you do? when somebody's not following the Brad Teal way? You know, whether that be they're not doing their self-development or they're not looking out for others. How do you address that?
1: Well, a couple of ways. We we actually bring it to attention and yep. say this isn't happening and we try to conciliate within the business. Mm. But, for example, this Friday we have five people sitting in um, a breakfast meeting and we brought in an, uh, an outside consultant uh, and he will go over behaviours, breaches of the behaviours, what's expected and ways to make sure it doesn't happen again. So, you know, in every organisation, it's not just, um, you know, chocolates and roses. It's, yeah. Um, you know, so we deal with it. Yeah. But confronting the issue and getting it early is the biggest issue. And yeah. That's what we need to work
0: on. Yeah, right. So, Brad, you can't be across all 100 of your team members. I, I, what, how, how have you structured your organisation
1: to ensure that you cut across everybody? Well, Antoinette, is at the top of the tree, and then we have um, divisional heads. And what I've done is, for many years, I've left the management of the business to trusted people like Antoinette Truder mm. and that Rhonda Ashton runs the accounts. Phil Martin's um, Lisa um, is Rhonda the, Ashton.
0: Is she related to the Ashton that punched her in the face? No, no. Oh, okay, right. No
1: relation. Yeah. Right. Um, but um, we have department heads and they run their business. Pru mm. Bryant has been fantastic. Mm. Um, Andrew runs Sale Division in the, um, the East and um, Craig Teal. And everyone works their own area. And mm. I don't go to management meetings. I've trusted that they make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And I do what I do best, and that is list and sell real estate. You yeah. can get a mood of the moment and uh, by the numbers that come through. I can tell at any one time. Uh, what proportion of the trust account is ours. I can tell by the mood of the market, how we're going uh, with number of auctions coming up, what our pipeline of opinions about valued. So I have about eight little things that are my litmus test of, yeah, mm. we're travelling well. Yeah. And that's what I do.
0: Uh, Brad, uh, we, it, last question I've got on people, if I can. Typically, uh, and I say this respectfully, but if if you were to talk in general about the real estate industry, uh, the three-letter word ego is often attached to that industry. Um, And there's also sometimes distinct um, uh, class separation between those that work in sales Mm -hmm. and those that work in, in property management. How have you dealt with that within your organisation? Because there's a lot of people out here. I'm, this is not just a conversation for those that own real estate businesses, but it's also a conversation for any businesses. I look at our organisation and we have a team of about 50 in Melbourne and we, and we have four different types of uh, team members. We have those that work in financial planning, those that work in accounting, those that work in lending and those that are our administrative support team members. And typically... They're different personalities and the last thing we want to do is, is is have a class separation between the team members and we try to instil amongst our organisation that we're all part of a bigger team, we just play different roles. How do you guys
1: deal with it uh, in your offices? Well, silos within businesses create dead ends at the top of each silo. So you've got to be mindful of siloing your departments like mm. you, those four you just nominated mm. And there are different ways about spreading people. So you're on the northeast side of the the corner for financial planning Mm. and um, business mergers and acquisitions is on the southwest side, completely poles apart, and they don't even meet in the middle. So being mindful of that and spreading people around the offices, Mm. have good interconnectivity between the departments, Mm. uh, have people who go to – we have rental people go to our sales meetings so, they have an understanding of what the language yeah. is being talked. Mm-hmm. Every sale has a certificate from the rental uh, office regarding what a realistic rental would be on a 12 month basis. Yeah. Um, so, we have that, but social activity where we have quizzes through Zoom quizzes, we have a lot of social functions where we have interactivity. And knowing that you know the, the, the face behind the name, behind the email, uh, at the end of the phone is also equally important. Mm. So you get it onto a human level. Mm. We do that a lot.
0: Thanks, Brett. Uh, we spoke earlier about your uh, your uh, active communica- uh, community participation and uh, we'll come to that in just a second. But on the broader scale, you're a board member at the Essendon Footy Club for 11 years. You bleed red and black. You're a mad bomber. Yep. Uh, tell me what that experience was like. And, and also, can you share with me some insights if you've drawn any parallels from elite sporting clubs like the Bombers and taken any of that intel into, into your business. Yeah,
1: absolutely I did. And I was very fortunate that I got on the board in 1998 and I got off um, in uh, December 2009. So it was a long journey and we got a premiership and we lost to Carlton in 99 and we lost to the Brisbane Lions in 2001. 2001. Yeah. But we won 2000 and, uh, and an unbelievable experience. But along the way... You learn how a business with so many departments is brought together, and Peter Jackson was incredible at that. He, his ability to, oh, you're dealing with. 50,000 members at that time. It's up to 75 or something now, but you've got a membership department. You've got a merchandising department. You've got a functions department that does thousands of meals every home game. Mm. You've got uh, the game day experience, which is a whole other department. You've got accounting to bring all of this money, you know, 20, 30, $40 million uh, revenue lines together Mm. and at the end still only produce an $800,000 profit. So there's Mm. a lot of churn of money um, you've got all of these departments and then you've got a football team and yeah. you've got to manage the football team and the ability for that team to be seen to be um, membership friendly, mm. uh, but also protect the players from this aura of where their egos get ahead of them. Uh, and when you're winning games, the rest gets looked after. If you are not winning games, mm. like Collingwood is feeling at the moment, and Essendon uh, has been struggling and you know, we beat, the uh, on Anzac Day, we beat Collingwood, but... If you win games, everything else gets looked after. Mm. Your membership will increase, your merchandise sales will go, your sponsors <coughs> will come on board. Everyone's happy. But if you fit uh, mid-table and or lower and you are only winning six to ten games a year, as all you can sell is expectation. But if expectation even drops off, yeah. then you run into trouble. So expectation is what kept memberships alive at Essendon over two thousand five, six, seven, eight, and then it dropped off. And the big risk for Essendon at the moment is a word they will not have factored into their budget called indifference. Now, in the last two or three weeks we've seen um, Essendon have sprung up with three or four ripper footballs. Mm. So all of a sudden you get forgiven we're not really winning against Brisbane Lions and Port Adelaide where you get belted. Mm. Um, should have beaten Hawthorne, should have beaten Sydney, could have beaten Sydney Swans. Mm. But all of a sudden you get that level of forgiveness. But indifference about, yeah, you know, I don't really care now whether they win so long as they give a good spirited game. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, that indifference, that people will drop off buying seats, memberships, right. your sponsors will drop off.
0: But they also won't, you know, it's a very valid point and I've actually never thought of it. Now, I love my footy as much as you and, uh, and I'm a mad bomber and I'm a big supporter of Vale Footy Club where I played footy. And as a kid, I was born in 1973, so I saw a premiership in 84, 85, 93, and 2000. So I've seen four premierships. Mm. My twin boys are about to turn 19 and haven't seen one, yeah. right? And what happens is then the father is not as big on, go, let's watch the bombers together, let's go to the footy. And then a generation misses out. And, and, and I guess this podcast is not about talking footy our producer just nods off. Um, what I wanted to talk about is, so what, what, did you ta- what was that experience like yeah. in, in that boardroom uh, where you'd have, uh, to coin a phrase, titans of industry sitting mm. around a table uh, talking about a, a, something that they're passionate about, but also bringing their business now to it? Uh, surely you would have learned a lot. At that well,
1: table? I, I learned a hell of a lot. Graham McMahon was unbelievable. He was great. Ray yeah. Horsborough, I actually learned a lot off Ray. Peter Jackson, I watched and I watched mm. and I learned a heck of a lot about how to run a meeting. Uh, Graham McMahon would sit there and he would set the name plates on the boardroom table where he wanted the votes to go. <laughs> so if you were sitting to his right, you knew your vote didn't count. <laughs> so I'd go into the meeting and I'd, before it, and I'd chuckle all of them around, and that used to annoy him. And he pulled me aside one day and he said, Teal, my place, 5 o'clock, fish and chips, Friday night. Yeah. I go around and he said, you do that again and I'll muckle you. <laughs> he was a fantastic man. But Peter Jackson knew the numbers inside out and... Mm. Uh, but at the same time, Eston Football Club had James Heard, Matthew Lloyd, Scott Lucas, um, you know, Steve Alessio, Mercedes mm. Mercuri. We had just the Rolls Royce mm. of, of that era. And we had a lot of what I'd call franchise people. So I learned about putting all of your eggs in one basket because when Sheedy left and and Lucas retired and, um, and Heard retired and Lloyd retired, then we struggled to get another franchise player. Mm. And... That that was something that made me aware of. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I started to do, do a bit of diversification in um, your business. Yeah, and yep. we looked at our f- fixed overheads. Peter Jackson was always on about matching your revenues with your fixed overheads and having them a certain proportion of your um, your overall revenues. Yeah. Um, Antoinette has re- realigned ours within because I got a bit out of out of alignment where my um, Fixed overheads were too big a proportion of my uh, revenue, so mm. we've adjusted that. Um, some really good insights into the footy club, but you found that you went onto the board as a barracker, as a supporter, yeah. and then you got inside the business and understood. But mm. one of the things that I've learned, and this won't be a favour to them all, is that just because you're top end of Collins Street doesn't mean you bring good decision-making to the boardroom mm. table of a footy club. And I think that you've still got to have the grassroots absolute soul of what the Red and Black Jumper is all about. And I think that there's a belief that money will fix all things. Now, money will buy you a packet of Mm Band-Aids, which was the most popular uh, brand of anything uh, by choice today. We uh, we listened on the radio. The the most uh, um, popular brand, uh, 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 the most trusted brand of anything, but... If you're trying to put a band-aid over an amputated leg, it's never going to work. That's right. So you've got to work out where you sit in your business life, and just bringing money to the, to the table doesn't change culture, mm. purpose, values, and quite simply, bad decision making. It mm. won't fix all of those mm. things in one hit.
0: Bad decision making. There's it often uh, it's uh, it's often co- or the phrase is often coined that leaders uh, operate in the 49-51 space, that uh, where it's quite ambiguous. You know, and you could you could make the right call, you could make the wrong call. Um, how have you found uh, those decisions? Because I, I say that, uh, and as an adjunct to that question, I wanted to add, you know, you, you, you sort of flippantly, I say that respectfully, but flippantly said, I don't go to those meetings, I don't do this, I let—I do what I'm good at, which is listing and selling properties, and I let my managers run it. But surely you've got a scorecard, and surely you've got a sense, a feel of, of, of how the business goes. Yeah. Can you talk to me yeah. about that?
1: Well, that's an intuitive feel, yeah. um, and that, What happens is where you are a major shareholder or a very dominant personality in a business Mm. or an organisation, that your overhang in in that meeting will make people quiet and be frightened to speak. So if I don't go to a meeting, people will actually come up with a a, a really good decision Mm. and it mightn't be exactly the way I've done it, but they've spoken their mind and they come up with some really good ideas.
0: I I think that point cannot be dismissed and I'd like to just underline it. I think it's very important. For most small business owners, uh, the founder or the one that runs the business is that dominant figure and people are frightened to speak. And someone once uh, mentioned to me, Jason, you've got a a huge oak tree and an acorn falls out behind the oak tree. It's very hard for a new oak tree to spawn out of the ground in the shadow of the big oak tree. Mm -hmm. And, And... And we've got to let the light shine on someone else. And, yeah, I I think that's an important lesson for all of us, not least the person speaking right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what I have earnestly tried to do, let people grow within their job and control their job. And I don't go in and say, we're not doing that. I let them run with it. Mm. I might have done it marginally different. Mm. Uh, There are... Very few occasions where I've said, I don't like that idea. Yeah, um, right. and that And you let it run and people will give you more, work harder, longer, faster, yeah. smarter, if you let them feel trusted and are trusted in yeah. what they do. Yeah, That's this what I
0: do. is... Uh, we're, one of the things that we're working on in our organisation with the leaders in our organisation, including uh, the shareholders, is this notion of uh, creating a sense of belonging, Within the organisation, and belonging is built on this notion of trust—not just capability trust or competence trust, but also connectivity and and and, and the sense of connection, which I think is important. And and in some businesses, they go, "We have a lot of functions, so therefore we connect." Well, I think it's a bit more than that, and it's and it's that it's that piece around showing a team member that you care, yep. uh, and I really. I still got that thing in my head about that Relationship Matters uh, organisation that you guys uh, use where you are really showing people that you care, but you're also showing them, not even more than that, you're realising that some of the challenges they're, they're faced with may be too confronting for them to talk directly to you about so you offer them the use of a third
1: party. That's on one side of the people part of it. The yeah. other side is um, I have meetings with three or four new people in the business and teach them the art of pipeline management, of what their expectations of earnings are over one year, two year, three year. How do you achieve that? What's the breakdown on a weekly, monthly, six monthly basis of what you've got to generate? So you break it down into little edible pieces rather than be confronted with um, a vertical learning curve on new software programs, new language that you've got to learn around contracts and understanding the offering process and uh, how people work in the industry. Yeah. So th- it, there are lots of things, the mentoring, the training in small groups to get a lot out of it. Mm. Uh, we, we are mindful of that side of it as well, mm. to bring people up. Mm. Brad, let's go to
0: the community piece and your involvement in the in the local community, whether it's a Lawn Bowls Club, a local footy club or the EDFL or whatever. Uh, no doubt one of the drivers of that is that, you know, you are part of the community and your business is part of the community. But what else
1: drives that for you? Well, that's had a fair bit of reflection over the last couple of years because we ended up giving an unbelievable amount of money. I don't know the amount, but it'd be probably in the order of 3 to $4 million in the last 20 years that we've given out to the local community Which sponsorships. Whiz. It's a lot of money. And that <coughs> it was just... Renew, renew, renew um, a sponsorship assigned. And so when Antoinette came on board, she said, Look, this quarter of a million dollars a year, it's just uh, we've got to reassess it. And uh, that was in 2017 18, from recollection, when the banking crisis happened. And we had to review our expense base against revenue that had reduced significantly. And you know, just to that point, where you might make 70 sales in a month and generate, call it a million dollars, versus um, next month you make 35 sales and you have $500,000, mm. uh, you cannot redo, you can't recast your expense base at the speed with which the revenue lines have diminished. Yeah. And that happened in the global financial crisis as well. Mm. And you could say, look, oh, look, we'll, we'll put 10 people off. Well, 10 people at $70,000 is $700,000. Annualised, if you're dropping... in a month, annualised $60,000, putting 10 people up, doesn't touch the size. No, that's right. So you've got to make some really quick, good business decisions. Mm. And one of them was we reinvented our way of doing the community deals, the sponsorships. Um, Because over the years, we had remained in clubs and on walls of bowls clubs and uh, the back of the nets of tennis clubs by association for Brad, I've just got to become treasurer of the tennis club. Uh, Can I put you down for a couple of thousand dollars? Yeah, George, that'll be fine. Uh, Brad, I've got on the committee of the footy club. Uh, We're looking for sponsors. You'd be right to put a big sign behind the goals. Or can you go on the back of the Yeah, that'll be fine. And that's exactly what it was because it was um, management by disaster almost. Yeah, 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 that'll be fine. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. And you know what? If you've got enough revenue coming in, in the end, it is fine. And the second the revenue declines... Um, a lot of sales fixes all issues, but you forget to go back and look at what the issues were that have just been covered up by the, the, the revenue yeah. increase. So when the revenue declined, we had a good look at it and we made a decision about we needed community embeddedness. So where we now give money to sporting clubs and organisations, schools, fates, all that, we must have someone who's connected to that school, that footy club, and be embedded in it to bring value to us and bring value the other way because it ended up being a donation. I would give $100,000 worth of donations to netball, hockey, football, soccer, cricket, swimming clubs, mm. um, kindergartens, gymnasiums, and just general donations to people riding a bike from here to Bega or <laughs> doing the Tassie, um, yeah, yeah. You know, all of those where you get sent them continually, yeah, the, the 100 push-ups um, mm. challenge, and mm. you just yeah 100 yeah. here, 100 there, 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. here, 100 there. And The fate boards people think you know there are a lot of fate boards from all agents around Melbourne. One of the greatest contributors to community in, in Melbourne is a state agency mm. where you think of all the fate boards, they actually have a cost, and yeah. they have a cost as a trade off by the cost of your board, or someone's actually got to buy them. Yeah. and they're about four or five hundred dollars yeah. a board, but there's so many of them up around Melbourne at any one time, particularly the fates and um, enrolments and all of that around springtime. Mm. Um, And they've got to come out of somewhere and they come out of your community funding pool. And some companies have a foundation which divert money into their foundation and put them up. It's still money out of your revenue line. Yeah. So we looked at that and we have challenged ourselves about can we get our staff to be community embedded, be a chairman of um, a footy club, be on a committee um, be the treasurer of the kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And so our community involvement is now far deeper than what it was. Yeah, it was the just... reach
0: is stronger because they're embedded in the organisation. Well, organization. it's a
1: genuine sponsorship yeah. and interconnection with yeah. an organisation rather than just a donation and don't see anything in return.
0: Brad, before we finish up, uh, we, we've just raced through 45 minutes without even knowing it. Um, I, I want to touch on something that I know is dear to your heart and that's your family. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and those uh, family values run deep within your organization. can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of family and and, and and how you see it and why you think it's important yeah. with your team members as well?
1: When you open your own business or you are at a top level and you have work pressures to fit in with the you know, you've got to be in at seven and you don't leave before eight, whatever the culture is, sometimes along the way, and I say this from the bottom of my heart that along the way my family uh, started to become second and you can say that you go and be team manager of the footy club and your team manager of your daughter's tennis team and but along the way I worked so hard for so long that along the way you lose focus and you lose the family values and in hindsight I am where I am today and I'm happy with my lot uh, but I could have done things differently and I think don't lose sight of what makes you and your family um, a unit and the distractions of business, particularly if you get in your own business and you are driven, that becomes the uh, the treadmill that you have to feed and it gets faster and you've got to run faster and you're not doing eight kilometres an hour, you're doing 10 and you're waking up halfway through the night and you you, you just can't go fast enough for your legs to keep up. Uh, that's the state of mind that you get in when you are um, you don't even know you're in that state. You're just mm. doing it and you get becomes busy. becomes normal. Yeah. And and you've got to be careful that your family doesn't become uh, the attrition along the way. Yeah.
0: That's uh, wise sage advice from you, Brad. Thank you very much for that. Brad, it's been an honour and a
1: privilege to have you on the Fantastic. podcast. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, mate. Good.